Hi, and welcome to The Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shon, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at The Strad. Gracing the headlines recently is the Isuri Quartet, which has announced two new members of the ensemble in advance of its busy 2023-24 performing season. The upcoming year sees the quartet performing a range of repertoire around the US. Here to speak with me in this episode is violinist Emma Frucht, who shared with me her insights and strategies for life on the road as a quartet, including how to prepare new works for a tour, ways to cope while traveling, as well as how the quartet makes the most out of its rehearsal time, particularly when time is limited. Here's Emma. Emma, thanks for joining me today. We're going to be speaking about your strategies and your tips for traveling as a musician, as violinist of the Isuri Quartet. So you've got a really, really busy upcoming season. You're going to be playing all over the States. You're going to be playing all over the place with a lot of different repertoire. Could you share with us, you know, some highlights that you're looking forward to in the upcoming season? And, you know, how do you deal with playing the amount of repertoire that you guys have committed yourselves to doing. Yeah, we, we're really, really excited about our upcoming season. We're kicking things off with a residency in Kansas City. Um, our quartet, in addition to performing, is very passionate about teaching. We also have a residency in Iowa later in the season. And one of our highlights that I'm really looking forward to in the beginning of October, we are premiering a new work by Jennifer Higdon that was written for us, Iser Waves, that's in partnership with the Buffalo Chamber Music Society. So that's where the premiere will be taking place. When do you find the time to rehearse this repertoire? So, you know, for example, you've got this new piece by Jennifer Higdon that you mentioned. How do you find the time in your busy schedules between the four of you to come together and make sure that you give the repertoire enough time that is actually required? It's a long process that we that we kind of go through um, before every season. We sit down together and go through our calendars and really map up the time we have available together to learn the repertoire. Because we offer our, our manager touring windows, like periods of time to fill with concerts. But then we need to make sure we have enough time outside of that to actually learn the music. That's the, the second part of the equation. <laughs> And so then once we've, you know, figured out our designated time for concerts and our designated time for rehearsals, then it's, it's almost like a funnel effect. Like we, we see what we have and then we see how we can break it down from piece to piece to make sure that we feel really nice and prepared before, especially before pre- premiering a new work like the Jennifer Higdon or a new program. And so what that might mean is you know, we, we spend a certain amount of time on, on each piece within a new program, but we also work in time to run through that program for friends and family so that we get a sense of what it feels like from beginning to end, because that's that's a whole other experience than just playing one string quartet on its own. And whatever time we have available, we really try to make the most of it. In an ideal world, we have a lot of flexibility, a lot of wiggle room, and we really want to feel like we have time and space for exploration when it comes to learning new pieces so that we don't feel like, okay, we just have to kind of throw it together and just make it work. It's, you know, we want to be able to try everyone's ideas and 
let the peace marinate. That's a word at least I like to use a lot is like marination time is important. Just having three days before a concert is not really enough time to let a piece kind of live in your body and like live in the group. And so it's nice to, to kind of space things out and rotate through repertoire when you're learning new pieces so that you can, you know, work on something at the beginning of a week and then come back to it at the end of the week and see how it might feel different for you individually and, and then mm. within the quartet. And I imagine the marination process is quite a long-term process as well. So, I mean, do you ever find that pieces really change from the beginning of a touring season to the end? Absolutely. Like like you said, it's the part of the marination process is performing the work. And so from the beginning of a tour to the end of a tour, a piece can feel really different. Like last season, we were touring Schubert's Death of the Maiden, and I think on one touring stretch, we were performing it maybe like five or six times within like a few weeks. And that was a piece that was new to the group. Some of us had, had played it before with other people, but it was, it was new to our quartet. And it felt completely different <laughs> after the fifth or sixth performance <laughs> versus the first. And then other, other pieces that we've lived with for even longer, like on our recently released album, Earth Drawn Skies, we recorded Eleanor Alberga's first string quartet. And that's a piece that we first learned in early fall of 2020. And so that was like kind of deep pandemic times. And we, we learned a bunch of music and made videos of it. We made recordings um, kind of before we had performed the works, because that's basically what we had access to with social distancing and masking and everything. And then later on, we were able to tour Alberga's first string quartet very extensively. And then eventually we recorded it for this album. And it was interesting seeing how different the recording for our CD is from the recording we made in October 2020. Yeah. Totally. All of a sudden, being able to actually interact with your colleagues must have made a yeah. huge difference. Talking about this this evolution of your pieces while you're in the middle of a touring season, how do you deal with rehearsing when you know you might have had a tricky day of travel, or for whatever reason you might not necessarily be in the mood to rehearse, or there are time constraints? How do you make sure that each piece gets its dedicated time like you just said there are all these kind of outside factors when you're on the road and you know there can be delayed flights horrible weather you know just just not ideal travel conditions that any maybe you think oh we'll arrive in this place and then we'll have you know a solid like four hours together and then we'll all go to bed and then let's say all the flights get delayed or flights get canceled and yeah. the time gets more and more and more compressed. I think one of the, the best strategies in those situations is just trying to keep as positive an attitude as possible. Once you start getting into a mindset of feeling really stressed out, having a lot of anxiety, it can just like permeate the whole group. And then if you do end up mm. being able to get together, it can feel even more difficult to achieve what you want to achieve you kind of have to just like let go (laughs) one of those things where it's very counterintuitive it's like 
instead of tensing up your body, just everything needs to exhale. That's interesting, isn't it? Because it can just take one person to make the group environment feel really, really toxic. So I guess you have to, it's a meeting of minds where you need to just make sure that you're all in the same boat together and that when you do have your rehearsal times, you've got to be as productive as possible. One technique that we use sometimes when it feels like time is limited and especially when a piece is is newer for us is in one of those rehearsals mm. where maybe we've been traveling all day and it's like later in the evening than we would like it to be and we're very tired. We try to make sure that we do as much playing as possible in the rehearsal and really limit the talking so that everyone can just get even more familiarity with the piece and there's something really freeing mm. about trying to show things only through playing and you know let's say something doesn't quite work as well as we want it to instead of you know talking about it for 15 minutes we just immediately say let's just try it again let's just play it again i suppose in that way it's quite an organic way of rehearsing and you're letting the music speak for itself by doing so We've spoken a little bit about musical strategies, as you mentioned, just trying to play as much as possible, making the use of your rehearsal times. Away from music, do you have any sorts of rituals or routines to ensure that your well-being is in check when you're away from home all the time? I mean, first of all, it's, it's always going to be a big adjustment when you're away from home for a long stretch of time. What are some sort of things that you like to employ to make sure that you're physically and mentally at the top of your game? I think number one for me, and probably for most people, is sleep. <laughs> uh, get, yeah. get, getting enough sleep. Sometimes um, difficult to get, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's very difficult, especially when, I mean, every once in a while we have, you know, a, a concert in the evening and then a really, really early morning flight. And so that turnaround can be quite difficult where you get back to your hotel at like 11 p.m. and then have to be up at like 3.30 in the morning to go to the airport. Making sure I can like try to catch up on sleep as much as possible, especially before another concert day, because I can definitely feel the difference both in like kind of my mental acuity, but also like physically, like my muscles just get tired more quickly. I don't have as much stamina if I'm if I'm working on like a pretty big sleep debt. And then something that I find like really grounding on the road is I figured out like my my creature comforts, like my, my little things <laughs> that I can find basically wherever I go that will make me feel like a little bit more at home or just like more in my routine. And they can be as, you know, kind of fun as like just flavored sparkling water <laughs> like when, I, when I go out to like get my food for however many days I'll be in a place like just like getting a couple cans or a couple bottles of that so like I have that and yeah. and other kind of little things that like I would have at home um, that you can find on the road that aren't particularly difficult you, you're really kind of listening to my body in terms of what kind of individual practicing I feel like will work best for me on on a given day especially on a concert day because we tend to do longer dress rehearsals and that's something that's like changed in the model of our quartet over the years but especially this last season we were rehearsing quite a bit on the road and so they were quite taxing our dress rehearsals and so I knew that if I practiced too much in the morning then I would be extremely tired 
Mm. by the time of the concert. And so just being really, really aware of like how many hours I'm going to be spending playing on my violin on a given day and making sure I don't overexert too early on. And that, I found that to be very helpful. I think what you said about listening to your body, listening to yourself was really important. That phrase came up on a podcast episode I recorded a couple of weeks ago with Melissa White. She's a violinist and also a yogi. It's all about listening to yourself, listening to your body and just making sure that you know what your body needs so that you can stay at the top of your game because otherwise you're just kind of slogging on through and perhaps not doing things at the best sort of level that you would want. I always found for me, in my experience, when I used to tour, when I used to be on the road, one of the most important things for me was just to make sure that I ate good food. Because it's very yes. easy, I think, when you're on the road just to eat like trash because it's there, it's convenient. Yeah. But I think as long as you're feeding your body properly and then just nourishing your body with the things that it needs, like the aforementioned sleep, <laughs> you know, sitting down to play after the sorting out the logistics of getting enough sleep, making sure you're eating well, making sure you get to the venue. The playing is the easy part at times. You know, it's like we know how to do this. The tricky stuff is all the stuff that's surrounding that and all of the logistics. Yeah, that's so true. You know, how do we get from point A to point B and feel as good as possible? And I mean, that, and that's that's the stuff that can have all of the unknowns in it. You know, we're, we're rehearsing at home <laughs> and we prepare to a place where we feel really comfortable with the music and then also you know we play many of these pieces over and over and over again so when we get on stage like you said that's that's not always the most difficult part <laughs> of the touring I know it's like yeah. when you've been up since 3 a.m and then you've had problems at the airport because your cellist couldn't get on the plane for whatever reason or you couldn't find your sparkling water then you just sit down on stage and yeah. you play your quartet that you've prepared at home then it's like oh well I know how to do this speaking of repeated repertoire and as you mentioned you know playing certain pieces of repertoire several times throughout a season what are your sort of ideas on keeping repertoire fresh? I know we touched on this slightly earlier about the long marination process of new works, but of pieces that you've played for a very long time, how do you make sure that each time you're getting something new from it or making sure it doesn't get stale? That's something that we try to really work into our rehearsal process, actually. Something our group really, really tries to go for is as much spontaneity as possible, like really staying in the moment in our performances. And spontaneity, it's kind of a paradox, but it, it, it's something you can practice <laughs> in a way. Like in, in our rehearsal, we're, we're all about trying different ideas in the moment. And so we'll play the same phrase many, many times with the goal of playing it differently each time mm -hmm. and trying to stay as inspired and as creative as possible. And another word we use a lot is vibrancy. We want the music to feel extremely vibrant all the time. And I think one of the great ways to achieve that is to like keep each other on on our toes, you know, kind of throw curveballs and see if you can be flexible and catch them in the moment. And tied with this practice of going for different ideas is when your colleague is clearly trying to do something different than the last time or, or, or try out something new, the goal is to make it work 
as well as possible. Even mm-hmm. if it's not how you might feel a phrase, I think it takes a certain skill set to be able to live in someone else's musical idea with such commitment that it sounds completely convincing. We try out all these options to <laughs> we have all these analogies. We call it almost like a a musical sandbox, like on a playground, like what is the sandbox? What is the sandbox we're playing in? Where are the corners? And so we know we have all of these options at our disposal. It's not just like a free for all, there is the sandbox, but within the sandbox, there's so much that we can do and still feel really spontaneous within that. You have to have your parameters in order to have creativity otherwise it's just a bit of a free for all kind of thing. But you know, you were yeah. talking about analogies and I think one analogy that comes to mind is from, you know, the actor and comedian Tina Fey from 30 Rock and she, she comes from a great line of improvisers. She was at Second City in Chicago and Saturday Night Live in New York. And the number one rule that she says in improvising is to always say yes. And so if you're doing an improvised scene with someone and they hold up two fingers and point them to you and say, this is a gun, you've just kind of got to go along with it and say yes and then act out the scene that way. Because if you just turn up and say no, that's not a gun, that those are your fingers, then the scene ends there, right? So I kind of see that exactly. that parallel with that and the quartet. With the quartet, you've got to be open-minded to go along with something that your colleague might be doing and have faith that you'll be able to take them along but also be taken along on their musical intentions. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I mean, the improv side of things is, and, and what you're saying about always saying yes is something we employ in our rehearsal techniques as well. When someone puts forth an idea, a very kind of easy way to make sure you don't shut it down is to make sure the next thing you say starts with yes and, mm-hmm. and then you share your idea. Because I think it can be very easy when everyone is, is commenting on a certain passage Someone can say something, someone can say something else, and you might assume that they're disagreeing with you when really you're both saying the same thing in different words. And so it can really help to just say, yes, and, and then share your own idea. That way it's constructive, isn't it? And you're not shutting anyone down. You're adding to what someone else has said. And then I guess that goes back to what you said earlier about how if you're limited for time, you make sure that you do as much playing as possible so that... You, you don't fall into scenarios like that of yeah. misunderstanding. Because then at least if you're just playing the music, you're just stripping it down to those essentials. Emma, thank you for sharing your thoughts on preparing lots of repertoire on the road and also your strategies for surviving on the road and away from home and wishing you all the best for your upcoming season with the Azori Quartet. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That was Emma Frucht. Check out thestrad.com for details about the new Izuri Quartet members and do check out the show notes for details on their upcoming album. Don't forget to check out thestrad.com where you'll find the latest news, articles and reviews on all things to do with string playing. If you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. There's 50% off an online subscription for students, and if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days, start reading right away with no strings attached. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or rating, it will help other people discover this podcast. 
Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye.